So the middle school staying in today, high school, middle school, you're in. Um, so every Sunday, we like to hear stories about what God is doing, not just what God was doing. Amen? So this morning, uh, Mark Coppersmith, uh, one of the uh, pastors on our team, um, he tried to retire and God just refired him up. And so a door of opportunity opened up for him in Mexico and there's a, a revival happening in Guadalajara and Mark and Shelley are in the center of it. In fact, you drive down through the town, you see a big billboard of Mark and Shelley's mugs on the, on the billboard. And the thing that's funny about that, where's Mark? Mark, Mark, Mark. Okay, somebody's got to find Mark because I told him he was going to give his testimony uh, before I preached and now he's not here. Watch him be in the bathroom right now. Mark! The thing that's funny about it is, uh, and make sure you get this uh, testimony uh, recorded, um, is that Mark and Shelley are the, uh, on the, on the most non-self-promoting people you would ever meet. And so for them to have, get up here, old man. For them to get, have, uh, look at, what were you doing? Where were you? At the donut table? <laughs> you don't, the donuts for after service, Mark. Tell us what God is doing down in Mexico. But first, I was outside waiting for the dessert truck to come. (laughs) Not for me, no, 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 it's for the the little children. Uh, When was it? I think it was um, June, May or June. We went down to Guadalajara. And I, I don't know if I told you, but I think I did. Uh, I was invited to speak at an AA leaders meeting, and there was about... Um, Explain what AA is. At Alcoholics Anonymous. All right. And there was 40 of them there. The leader of the group had become a Christian a couple of years. He, he's the group leader over 40 group leaders. So he represents, well, 40 groups times 10. You know, a lot of... represents a lot of people. So... We went to this... Did I do the math wrong? 400? There's a lot of people. There's a lot of people. Yeah. So anyway, went to the meeting and, and um, suggested to them, what would your life be like if your higher power had a first name and uh, someone you could have a relationship with? And as we unfolded that, people started putting their hands up saying, I want that. I want what you're talking about. And so I led a few of them to the Lord. And then uh, one girl put up her hand and said... I was talking about shame, and she said, I hate myself, and I wish I was dead. And uh, hmm. I had her come up and led her to the Lord, and, and uh, an evil spirit left her. Hmm. It was really a profound experience. And then after that, all these hands went up, and they said, I want what that happened there. I want that. I want that. So I led a whole bunch of them to the Lord. Over half the group became Christians that night. <laughs> I have never seen anything like it in my life. And, and the pastors were stunned. The guys I was with said, this is crazy. This is amazing. Well, anyway, um, I was down there last weekend, and the guy who had invited me to the group said, they want you to come back and do a conference, and it's going to be a whole lot more AA leaders. Wow. Because it, it's just gone out like, like yeast in, in, in bread, you know. It, it's, it's moving out, and more of them are becoming Christians, and now they want training on how to pray, how to have a relationship with God, advance all that side of things. So you just, you just never know what's going to happen. It took me by complete surprise, and it's, I think it's an inroad into, into a powerful organization, you know, that was once, uh, well, it's still Bible-based in terms of the truths, right. but having that personal relationship with the Lord is brand new for them. Is, so it's so exciting. He is surprising you. Yeah. I was shocked. And the, at the, uh, the last part of your ministry, we'll put it that yeah. way, but that's a long last, last part of your yeah. ministry, he is doing more stuff yeah. through you now than... Than ever before. That's when you're old, broken down, useless, and tired, and you just want to watch NFL football, it, then God comes along and throws all this stuff and says, let's get after it. And it's so exciting and it's so much fun to do. Makes me feel Isn't that really awesome? alive. Isn't that awesome? Amen. So I have a, a friend, two friends, Steve and Daniil, a couple married, and 
Steve decides he wants to do something like something that would blow his wife away and just cause her to just think he hung the moon. So he bought her a $5,000 ring just because. And he gives her this ring and she was like, you know, he's waiting for it, right? He is waiting for it. The look on her face, the eyes, the all, the hands wrapped around the neck and hopefully what follows. And all she did was she went, oh, that's nice. That's nice. And she puts it on, gave him a little kiss and walked away. He's like, The next week, he helped her clean the blinds in the house. (laughs) That is so funny. She treated him like he had hung the moon. He's like, what up? You see, sometimes we, we miss each other's love languages. We... We have a great idea we think is going to really rock their world, but it just doesn't really connect. I mean, he could have saved five grand if he just, you know, asked, asked a few probing questions, right? God never misses what we actually need. He knows you. He knows you. He knows you. And he knows exactly what you need, and he becomes that for you. It's kind of like... Uh, when the three wise men came, right, and gave gifts to Mary and Joseph and Jesus. Well, if it was three wise women, it probably, you know, I mean, look, if it was three wise women, you see, instead of there being gold, frankincense, and myrrh, you'd have diapers, casseroles, and formula, right? I mean, that, <laughs> that probably would have been more helpful. I'm not sure what Jesus was going to do with frankincense, but God nails it every time. Even when we think we know what we need, God really knows what we need. And then he meets that need and you're like, wow. This is where we pick up what God did when he came to the earth as a human being. In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7, let's look at this. It says that when for unto us, let's read this out loud. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor. We're going to put those together because in most texts it's Wonderful Counselor, not separate. So today we're going to do Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Let's read the next verse. Of the increase of his government, we're talking about Jesus, and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it and establish it with judgment and justice, from that time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Only God can perform this. Only God can meet our need. Last week I was talking to you about the truth that God's power is known through our weaknesses. See, you and I don't get to know God in our strengths because we are self-sufficient. We don't need Him. It's when you're desperate, when you're lonely, when your friends forsake you, when you're in a financial crisis, when you're in a physical uh, sickness or disease strikes your body. You have insomnia. You can't sleep at night. You worry. You fret. Your husband or wife cheats on you. You get unjustly fired. You're unjustly treated. You're bullied. You're mocked. It's in those times of despair and uh, hurt and pain and suffering and lack and need that you cry out to God. And what does He do? He literally becomes for you exactly what you need Him to be to meet that need. And in that place of experience of God's strength, visiting your weakness, you get to know God, you get to know Him in that way. Like I was talking to my mom, we were in a prayer, uh, me and my brothers and sisters and my mom now pray every week together on Fridays. Uh, It's amazing how God can restore families, it's a beautiful thing. 
And so we were on the phone this Friday and we're praying. And uh, my mom's very quiet. And, you know, she has uh, four evangelists on the phone, me and my brother, my two sisters. And we're just popping off and praying and yelling and screaming and spitting in the phone and going for it and casting out devils. And my mom's just very quiet. And then when we're all done, she says, you know, God will meet you in the most personal way in the smallest moments of your life. And I thought, you know, I said, Mom, when you have an encounter with God in a specific, unique way that communicates just to you, maybe everybody else around you would be like, well, that's a coincidence, or that's cute, or that's nice. It doesn't rock the world, but to you, you know that was God, right? You know what I'm talking about? Because God relates to you the way you are so that you can connect with him. Well, her story is that she always believed that God created the universes, but she could not fathom that God was a personal God. So one day she was in a restaurant waiting for her table, and she's just sitting up in the, the bar area waiting for the table, and she was talking to somebody, and then somebody taps her on her shoulder, and this guy says to her, excuse me, ma'am, uh, I was just sitting over there, and I'm a Christian, and I know this may sound really strange to you, but... God wanted me to tell you that he is a personal God. She said, I had never told anybody that I doubted that God was a personal God. Because it's kind of embarrassing for her to admit that. And so she, she was like stunned. And then she turned to see if the person that she was talking to was still there. Because this is a weird encounter. And she thought maybe this person just kind of like bailed. And then when she turned back, this person was gone. Like it was only like a few seconds. Gone. Couldn't find the person. Gone. But it was out of that encounter that she's lived the rest of her life. And she sees God now as a personal God in everything that she sees. She sees him in a very personal way. That's hers now. That's how she knows him. Are you guys tracking with me? This is why... When God came to the earth, he came as our wonderful counselor, our mighty God, our everlasting father, and prince of peace. Why? Because we all need him to be all of those things to us. Whenever God does something in your life, whenever he shows up, you see this all through the Bible, he tags a name on it, onto it. Like when he healed his people. He said, I am Jehovah Rapha, which in Hebrew means the quick stitcher. So he heals Israel and then he names himself Jehovah Rapha. He meets a woman's need named Hagar. And then he says, I am Jehovah Rohi. I am the God who sees you. That's the name of shepherd. I am the God who sees every individual person. And I shepherd them. I'm Jehovah Rohi. When he breaks through David's enemies, he says, I am Baal Perazim, the God of the breakthrough. So God does something, then he tags the name, like a superhero. Okay, give me a name of a superhero that matches their super ability. Spider-Man, come on. Huh? Ant-Man. Which is very cool, by the way. I, I saw that, I was like, that is very cool. Ant-Man, he can kind of go anywhere he wants. Nobody can see him if he doesn't get squashed. Another superhero. Huh? Batman. Yes, he's my favorite, but he's not really a bat, is he? He's close. I like his gadgets and stuff, but he doesn't have the power of a bat. Aquawoman? Aqua. Are you chauvinist? Why can't there be an aquawoman? You're, you're from Guadalajara, right? You, you should go down there and be part of that revival and... and Learn that God can use women too. Jeez, Maru. I'm so sorry for you. You've got to put up with that. Wow. There's Wonder Woman. Psalm 75.1 says this about God's names. We give, you th- we give thanks to you, O God. We give thanks for your wondrous works. Declare your name is near. Isn't that interesting? They connect the wondrous works of God with his names. I have a book, The Names of God. You would, you'd be stunned at how many names 
God has uh, for himself throughout the word. But it's so that we can connect with him and know him and understand him. He does it through his names. That's why you don't want to name your kid something that sounds cute, but they end up being the elf ruler or something. Or, or um, some of the names, I don't know. You need to look up the definition of the names. You could be calling your son or daughter idiot like their entire life. You just don't even know it. It's true. The first name, wonderful counselor. Let's look at God's names and see how he reveals himself to us through Christ. When Jesus came, God in the flesh, the Christmas story, he came as wonderful counselor. We don't really see God as a counselor or think about him as a counselor, but he is. He helps us with lies versus truths. We have so many lies rolling around inside of ourselves about ourselves about one another, about situations, about God, about the devil, about life, our future, our past. So many lies. God can never forgive you for that. You know, you can never be as good as that person. You know, you're ugly, you're dumb. You're never going to account to anything. Or you're better than everybody else. That's a lie too. These lies and truths. And then God, the Holy Spirit, brings a truth into that lie and sets you free. I've had, that's why we have Sozo ministry here in our church. Because it's really about displacing, replacing lies with truths. And you get set free. It's just amazing. Once you go into a sozo meeting or an encounter in sozo counseling, you, you, you may not think there's anything there. Like Pastor Mark went to a sozo. Our, our team goes to sozo periodically so we can all stay healthy and be healthy leaders for you. So sozo is inner healing. And so um, he went just because I made him because I can do whatever I want because I'm the boss. And so he said to the girls there, he goes, okay, I have to be here because my boss told me I have, my pastor told me I have to be here. And they were going through it and all of a sudden stuff started coming up. And he said he wept and wept and wept and wept. And then he walked out of there so free and so joyful. See, I knew he needed to go. He was all bagged up. He just didn't know, but I could perceive it. Might have even been demons. I'm not sure, but he did get (laughs) delivered. You never know. But it was the truth that replaced the lies. We go to career counselors. We go to guidance counselors. There's so many decisions we have to make in life. Man, do we need Jesus to be our wonderful counselor. Various internet sources estimate that an adult makes. How many, guess how many decisions that you make that are remotely conscious, meaning you don't even realize you're having to go through this decision process for the smallest things all throughout the day from the moment you get up. Should I get up? Should I hit the alarm? Should I hit the snooze? What should I wear? All these, how many decisions a day do you think that you make? Just start a couple numbers. 10,000? 10, Half a million? Dude, you, you need to have to go to Sozo. That's, that's, that, that's, somebody else. 500? 35,000, you make remotely conscious, 35,000 remotely conscious decisions each day. A, co- a child makes about 3,000. Uh, that may sound crazy. Listen, we make 226.7 decisions each day on just food alone. What we're going to eat, what we're going to put on it, when we're going to eat. That's according to researchers at Cornell University. Excluding sleeping time, that means you're making one decision every two seconds. Indecision is a brain drain, isn't it? It's an energy drain. In fact, the word anxiety means to divide the mind. You ever see my head is splitting? You ever feel that way? Literally, anxiety, that word for anxiety in the Greek means to divide the mind. I don't know what to do. What choice do I make? What to eat, what to wear, what to purchase, what we believe, what jobs or career choices to pursue, who to vote for, who to spend our time with, who we're going to date, who we're going to marry. Look at the, look how much time it takes to make decisions. Each decision, and on average, can take up to nine minutes, which adds up to four hours lost in thought. Here are some examples. What to buy your spouse or your partner for Christmas takes, on average, 10 days and 11 hours. How to spend your spare time, four days and two hours. You just wasted four days on how to spend your spare time. Where to go out on a date, 8 minutes and 58 seconds. Who to vote for in an election, 5 days and 18 hours. It takes me about a second. Whether to increase your monthly pension contributions, 5 days and 19 hours. Where to go on holiday, 7 days and 13 hours. Whether to get married or not, 
for some guys, it's years, right? But it's like when you come down to it, whether I should do this or not. Believe it or not, eight days and 12 hours. But, you know, don't think you're special because it also takes eight days uh, and 13 hours to decide whether to switch your gas and electric supplier. So, (laughs) and it also takes eight days and 13 seconds to decide whether you're going to have kids or not. And the shortest thing on the list, which makes sense after you have broken your your brain trying to decide all these things is uh, how long does it take to decide what beer you want when you're at a bar? One minute and 53 seconds. Right. Proverbs says this about anxiety. Proverbs 12, 25. Anxiety in the heart of man causes depression. How much do we need God to be our counselor? But look, but a good word makes it glad. God's counsel to you, which he will be your counselor if you want him to be, if you need him to be and cry out to him, he will give you guidance and wisdom. And wisdom, the Bible says, all her paths are peace. Job twelve thirteen says, with him are wisdom and strength. He has counsel and understanding. That's why it's so important to walk with God. He knows everything about you and everything about your life and everything about everyone around you. He has all the information. Jesus is called the wonderful counselor because, look at this word wonder, isn't like we say, oh, isn't she so wonderful? It's not that kind of wonderful. It's not a human level of wonderful. It literally, this word wonder is so far beyond human capacity that it makes you stand still and wonder and awe. In fact, this word is found in the book of Judges, and I want you to see this, um, This is uh, a guy named Samson in the Bible. God gave him such physical strength that he could just, he whooped up on a thousand people at one time, multiple times. I mean, he, he, his name was Samson. He had supernatural strength and his mom and dad, she was barren and they prayed for a child and Samson's the child that God gave. But look how he appeared to give them this child. And Judges 13, 17 through 20, I want you to look at this. It says, Then Manoah, the dad, said to the angel of the Lord, What is your name, as this angel appears to him, what is your name that when your words come to pass, we may honor you? And look what the angel of the Lord said to him, which many believe is a Christophany, which means Christ appearing in the Old Testament. The angel of the Lord, capital A, says, Why do you ask my name, seeing it is wonderful? That word wonderful there means too wonderful for you to understand. You ask me my name. It is so far beyond you. Even if I told you my name, you wouldn't even understand what I just said to you. Like when Moses says to God, when God says to Moses, who's a shepherd, I want you to go to Egypt where you fled from 40 years ago. I want you to go to Pharaoh, who's the king of Egypt, the king of the most powerful nation in the world, who, by the way, hates shepherds. I want you to go to the king, the Pharaoh of Egypt, and I want you to say to him, let my people go. Three million slaves that have been slaves for 450 years at that time. Go to him and just say, let my people go. And Moses says, who should I tell him is sending me? What is your name? And God says, I am that I am. doesn't really make sense. That doesn't sound right, does it, God? That just doesn't really ring. Like, what does that mean? (laughs) I am that I am. His name was so wonderful, he just says, I am. Isn't that awesome? What do you need? I am. I, I can be that for you. And then it says he did a wonderful thing. The next verse. So Manoah took the young goat with a grain offering and offered it up to the rock to the Lord. And he did a wondrous thing. The angel did. While Manoah and his wife looked on, what did the angel do? It happened as the flame went up toward heaven from the altar. The angel of the Lord ascended in the flame of the altar. And when they saw it, their faces went to the ground. Those words wonder. My name is so wonderful. I can't even tell you what it is because you wouldn't understand it. And then he did something that was so wonderful. It was beyond their comprehension. And that when they gave an offering, the angel entered the fire and, whoosh, and went up to heaven. They fell on their face. 
This is our God. Now, why am I showing that to you? Because when he says wonderful counselor, his counsel is so beyond human wisdom, it causes you to wonder at God's amazing wisdom for you. Jesus came to you as your wonderful counselor. You need him. Ask him your questions, any question. He already knows what's rolling around inside of you anyway. But how do you tap into this wisdom? And I'm going to move on to the next name after I give you this. How do I tap in? How do you tap into Jesus as your wonderful counselor? Well, he says this in Psalm 32, 8, 9. The Lord says, I will guide you along the best pathway for your life. This is a great promise to memorize. I will advise you and watch over you. But here's the trick. Do not be like a senseless horse or a mule that needs bit and bridle to keep it under control. Have you ever tried to get a mule or, a, well, if you live in Ramona, yes, but I don't know about in 4S if they have mules or donkeys running around, but the laughter coming from the new Ramonaites. Just wanted to see Adrena and Amores. Lily and I dropped by Adrena and Amores house the other day to see your brand new home in Ramona. Welcome to Ramona, where the mules live. And Joshua and Darley just moved up there as well. And Josh wants to get horses, so that's all exciting. You put a bit and a bridle on a horse because they won't do what you want them to do until they're trained. Have you ever tried to just pull a horse or a mule and they just dig their heels in? You ever seen that before? Have you ever visited the country at all, ever in your life? Have you seen it on a movie? You city dwellers, do you know what picture I'm trying to paint? God says, don't be like that. Don't make me drag you through life. Trust me. Trust me, God says. I'll give you the right wisdom. Second name God becomes to you and I through Jesus is mighty God. It's one of my favorite names. I love calling out to him, mighty God, might. You know, the Hebrew translation for this is hero God. Isn't that awesome? Everybody needs a hero. That's why we love superheroes. That's why we love the Avengers. That's why we love those movies. Yeah. You see Wonder Woman. See, you see Wonder Woman coming out on the battlefield when everybody's hunkered down in the foxhole and they're all afraid there's no way we can get across that field and wonder woman just comes out with her bracelets right and her shield it's so exciting and then all the men come out of the trench behind her go oh, let's follow her yeah you got deborah in the old testament a general in god's army deborah wipes out the enemy yeah god can use women too Hero God, divine warrior. There are things in your life that you cannot handle. You think you can and up to a certain age and then you realize, oh, sometimes I need help. And then there's God. Your hero God. There's one thing that none of us can avoid and none of us can do anything without, uh, do anything about, and that is death. We're all going to die. That's a given. We can cheat death for a while, but you're going to die. And you don't even know when or how, which might be a good thing. But none of us can do anything about it. But our hero God can. Think Lazarus. In the Bible, there's a story about some of Jesus' friends. Mary and Martha were sisters. And Lazarus, the brother, they all lived together. And Jesus would go to their house. Every time he'd go through their town, he would stop at their house and have dinner and kick back on the couch and teach them and be with them. So cool. They were his friends. And Lazarus died. And so he shows up four days late. Because they called him when he was sick, but Jesus just hung out for a couple of days and waited till he died. Sometimes you're calling on God to answer your needs, and it's like he came too late. 
and you wonder, why did you come so late? It's because he's setting you up for a bigger miracle. Like when he heard that Lazarus, who was his friend, was sick, he told his disciples, Lazarus is sick. We'll go there in a couple of days. They said, oh, he's dead now. Don't worry about it. He said, okay, now we're going to go. They said, why would you go now? He's he's dead. He said, no, he's just sleeping. They said, well, if he's asleep, he's going to wake up, so don't worry about it. And Jesus was like, oh, my gosh. (laughs) Okay, guys, he's dead. I was just saying sleep because it was like a little prophetic word about what I'm about to do is go wake him up. They're like, we don't understand. So he shows up in the scene. Mary and Martha, his sisters, run up to him. If you had come a couple days ago, Jesus, my prayers would have been answered. My brother would still be alive. You could have healed him. Because I've seen you heal sick people before. You could have healed him. A lot of times when you see God do something, that becomes your watermark of what God can do. But we can't limit God to what we've seen him do before. God can do whatever he wants to do. He's the mighty God. He's the hero God. He slung the universes into existence with a word. Well, two words. Light be. Light still being created at 186,000 miles per second right now. Out of that one word out of God's mouth. She says, I know you could have healed him from sickness, but now he's dead and I'm upset with you. And Jesus said, if you believe, you're going to see the glory of God. And she goes, I know I'll see the glory of God way off in the future. He said, no, I'm talking about now. I'm the resurrection of the life. And then he goes to raise her from the dead. And she says, Jesus, he's been dead for four days. I'm sure he stinks. You don't want to do this. She literally said that to him. See, in her natural mind, she's thinking about all the natural consequences like, okay, maybe you can raise him from the dead, but you can't stop him from stinking from being dead for four days. You know, see what we do? Because of our natural minds, we put God in these little boxes of things he can and can't do. Well, that's not possible. That's not possible. You can do this, but not that. You can raise him from the dead, but you can't stop him from smelling Or how about this? Once he raised Lazarus from the dead, our hero God, then the Jews who wanted to kill Jesus, after they saw him raise Lazarus from the dead, they said, now they want to try to kill Lazarus. We've got to kill him too because the press for Jesus is getting bigger and bigger. So now that he raised somebody from the dead, we need to kill them both. Are Are you tracking with how illogical that is? He raised Lazarus from the dead, so their solution is to kill them. You with me? As though he couldn't do that trick again. Well, by the way, he did. In fact, we read this in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 through 18. Since all his children have become flesh and blood, that's you and I, God's children. So Jesus became human to fully identify with us. How beautiful is that? He did this so that he could experience death and annihilate the effects of the intimidating accuser, Satan, who holds against us the power of death. By embracing death, Jesus sets free Those who live their entire lives in bondage to the tormenting dread of death. Fear of death is one of the number one fears of a human being. Rightly so. But Jesus sets you free from that. For it is clear that he didn't do this for the angels, but for all the sons and daughters of Abraham, who we are if you're in Christ Jesus, you're called a son or daughter of Abraham. This is why he had to be a man and take hold of our humanity in every way. He made us his brothers and sisters and became our merciful and faithful king priest before God. As the one who removed our sins to make us one with him. He suffered and endured every test and temptation so that he can help us every time we pass through the ordeals of life. Our hero God. Isn't that powerful? So not only... Did God come down as a human being to take our place and face death for us and then break the power of death and raise from the dead so that when you give your life to Jesus, the moment you draw your last breath, you just go, you just move from here to heaven. It's like moving to Texas. Well, hopefully it's better than that. 
But it's just like moving. Not that there's anything wrong with Texas. Not. It's just like moving to another place. It is moving to another place. For those in Christ, it's like you just fell asleep and then you wake up. Death has been removed from our reality. Not only that, but because he broke the power of death and because it says, what did it say here? He suffered and endured every test and temptation. There's nothing you're going through that Jesus doesn't understand or can't identify with. Betrayal, rejection, abandonment, false accusations. I mean, you just go down through the list of his suffering. And then when he was on the cross, all the sin, all the mistakes, all the failures of every human being that ever lived and ever will live went inside his body. And he felt it all. And then he took it to the grave. And then he left it there. And he broke death. And he rose from the dead. So he can help you right now, today, with whatever you're going through. He is your mighty God. Number three, everlasting father. Jesus knew that one of your greatest and deepest needs is the loving care of a father. So he comes as the everlasting father. So here the mighty God and everlasting father is a very clear place in scripture where we can see that Jesus is God. Jesus is the mighty God. Jesus is the everlasting father. Oh, how can the father and the son be the same person? I don't know. Should we go back to the word wonderful? You see, this again is the problem with us as human beings. Well, if I don't understand it, I can't believe it. Really? Just because you can't understand it? So we're all supposed to reduce our life down to your peanut-sized brain? I don't want to live there. I want to live worshiping a God that is so far beyond me that he can do whatever he wants and be whoever he wants to be. And if he says he's the Father and the Son and the Spirit all at the same time, that's okay with me. And once you humble yourself and you allow God to be God, that's when he begins to open up the treasures of his wisdom and knowledge to you. And you're like, oh. You ever said to one of your children before, just obey me. You won't under- Even if I tried to explain it to you right now, you would not understand why mom or dad are making this decision. You will when you get older, but right now you won't. Have you ever said that before? Anybody ever? Huh? Huh? Okay. Paul went to heaven, the apostle Paul. He came back down to the earth and he said, he wrote and said, look, I can't even tell you most of what I saw because you would not understand it. So I will just try to dumb it down for you. Basically what he said. (laughs) He's the everlasting father. Fathers carry a God-given authority, which is why our relationships with our fathers impact us for good or for bad. And you can't get away from it. It's just intrinsic within a father, what God has put inside of dads. Fathers, good fathers, the purpose of fatherhood is to affirm your identity, who you are, and make you feel secure, and to help you have confidence and clarify your divine purpose in life, and then support you to go be the best you you can possibly be, to cover you and protect you. The reason Jesus, you don't see him with any insecurity issues, fear issues, need to impress people issues, fear of opinions of other people's issues, is because his security was in the Father's love. This is the primary revelation Jesus brought to us. That's why when his disciples said, teach us how to pray. And he said, pray this way, Father, the first word, first word out of his mouth. And he says, the first word out of our mouths when we pray, Father in heaven. And it's the, it's the Aramaic word, Abba, which is daddy. Intimacy, close, intimate relationship with God as our dad. Oh, dad. I know it sounds awkward for us to say that, but that's really what's, that's really what's going on here. Abba, Daddy, Papa, God. Well, Papa in Spanish, not Papa. If you say Papa, you're calling him a potato, right? Right, Papa. Make sure I'm all things to all people. Jesus 
says to Philip, I love this. This is one of my favorite passages. We're going to come to a close here in just a second. Jesus says in John 14, 6 through 9, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father. See, that's the whole point. That's the end destination. Except through me, Jesus says. If you really had known me, you would know my, who my Father is. From now on, you do know him and you've seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and we'll be satisfied. What a great, what a great sentence. Show us the Father and we will be satisfied. That's where true satisfaction comes in life. My daughter Ava and I were talking about this yesterday. We had a conversation about identity. And we were both talking about how if our identity is rooted in the Father's love for us, that's where true identity comes from. And it's where true peace comes from, that we are well-loved children of the Father. That's why Jesus says, you know what? You're all going to forsake me and leave me alone. They're like, no, we're not. Yeah, you actually are. But don't worry about it. I'm not alone. The Father's with me. That's why I was on the cross. The thing that, the thing that was the most grievous to Jesus wasn't even the torture. It wasn't the crucifixion. It wasn't the abandonment of his best friends. It was being separated from his Father on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But the Bible says God turned his back on Jesus for a moment so he would never, ever have to turn his back on you and me. The Father loves you. And so he says, show us the Father and we'll be satisfied. Jesus replied, now watch this, I love it. Have I been with you all this time, Philip, and you still do not know who I am? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So why are you asking me to show him to you? And I can see Jesus right there just kind of look at Peter, Philip, and wink. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and I can see Philip, like his brain rattles for a second, and then it dawns on him what he's saying. And he realizes, I'm looking at God in the face. <laughs> I mean, can you imagine being Philip? <laughs> you know, Jesus like... <laughs> How fun it must have been for God. To become one of us and walk around and every once in a while trying to reveal himself to somebody. <laughs> oh, Jesus is Jesus. And God is so God. I understand, just like myself, that many of you have had some serious issues with your dads in the earth. We live in a fatherless generation. It's an epidemic. And I'm telling you that the healing of your soul will happen as you Learn how much the Father loves you. My children can drive me batty, but my love for them is immovable and unchangeable. Hopefully there is for me too. Okay, the last name, Prince of Peace. And we're going to close with this. I did an interview one time. I uh, did a man on the street interview. I asked probably about 100 people, if you could have anything in life, what would you want it to be? I was shocked. I was really shocked. Every single person said peace. So I wrote a song called Peace. Peace. If I could just have peace. Isn't that amazing that every person said the same thing? Well, God knows we need peace. Peace in the earth. Peace among nations. One of my favorite pictures is Jesus. The United Nations building is like, I don't know how many stories high, but it's like all over the sky. And there's this huge, tall Jesus, like going all the way to like the 40th floor and looking into the United Nations building window where they're meeting and he's knocking on the window. One of my favorite pictures. There'll be no peace without the prince of peace ruling and reigning in the earth, which one day Jesus will return his second coming and he will rule and reign in the earth. It's called the thousand year reign of Christ. And there will be peace in the earth. Because in the meantime, until that happens, we're all fighting for power and what we want, and what we need and we'll fight and kill for it. We also need peace in our relationships, peace in your home. Your house is supposed to be a place of refuge. That's why it's so painful when it's not. The world is harsh and hard. You come home and you want it to be a place of refuge. That's why it's so important for everybody to try to get on the same page. Moms, dads, sons, daughters. 
We've got to make, do everything we can to be humble and forgive each other and talk and communicate and pray together and try to make our homes homes of refuge instead of a battle zone, which they can be at times. You've got to fix that as fast as you can. Try to restore your home back to order. Everybody's got to pitch in to make that happen. Jesus says this in John 14, 27. Knowing that peace is one of our most critical needs in life. Look at what he says here as a promise. Peace I leave with you. My perfect peace I give to you. Not as the world gives. They can't give this peace. I give it to you. It's my peace. It's a different, it's a completely separate peace than what any peace you and I could get in the world through human relationships, through communication, through sozo ministry, through substance abuse, you know, the temporary peace you get from drugs and alcohol and all that kind of stuff. Through fame, fortune, whatever you get, you feel like you have financial peace, whatever. That's all temporary and goes away. It's all, Jesus says, I have a peace that is completely separate and I give it to you. It's his spirit. He breathes his Holy Spirit into you. I'm letting the cat out of the bag here. He breathes the Spirit into you, and there's a peace on the inside of you that is, that is the peace of God. That actually goes inside your soul. And no matter how anxious you're on the surface, deep down, there's this peace. It's a gift. Watch again. Peace I leave with you. My perfect peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled. Let it not be afraid. Let my perfect peace calm you in every circumstance and give you courage and strength for every challenge. John 16, 33, he says this again. I've told you these things so that in me, everybody say in me. me. Say it out loud. Say in me. me. Not in religion. In me, Jesus says. I've told you these things so that in me, you may have perfect peace. In the world, you have tribulation and distress and suffering. But be courageous, be confident, be undaunted, and be filled with joy. I have overcome the world, hero God. My conquest is accomplished. My victory is abiding. And then finally in Colossians 3.15 it says this. Let the peace of Christ, the inner calm of one who walks daily with him. That's the key right there. The inner calm of the one who walks daily with him. Some of you are Christians. Some of you have already received Jesus. But you wonder why you're so stressed out and anxious and fearful, even though you're a believer. Right here is a key. Look what it says again. Let the peace of Christ, the inner calm of one who walks daily with him. It's not just believing the day you got saved. It's a daily walk with Jesus. Let his peace, the inner calm of the one who walks daily with him, be the controlling factor in your hearts Deciding and settling questions that arise. To this peace indeed you were called as members in one body of believers. And be thankful to God always. You know, drawing near to Jesus is the key to all of this. Some of you say you believe. Some of you, maybe you don't believe in Christ yet. But today is the day you can open your heart to Him. And ask him in. And you're going to experience this peace I was just talking to you about. It's going to go right inside of your soul. You'll feel it on the inside. Whenever I pray with somebody to receive Jesus, the thought, I ask them, what are you feeling on the inside right now? And I either get one of two answers, peace or joy. Every time. It's because there's no way you can relieve the burden of your sin and guilt and shame by yourself in human effort. It's impossible. It's a spiritual reality. But once you give your life to Christ Jesus, the first thing that happens is the guilt and shame of your sin rolls off your soul. You can't get down there and get rid of it. Good deeds don't replace bad deeds. Sin is inside of your soul. And when you receive Jesus, the Holy Spirit takes that sin and the shame and removes it. And then he breathes the peace and joy of God into your soul. And you feel his peace. Some of you have done that, and you're like, yeah, but I don't feel that. Well, how closely are you walking with Jesus on a daily basis? My wife and I were up in Julian a couple days ago because she felt good for half a day. And she says, I want to go to Julian and buy something for the kids. I'm not going to tell you what it is. So we went up to Julian, and we went into Mom's Apple Pies. You guys know Mom's up there? That's the best pie shop. 
and nobody's there. They just open. We walk into the place. It's freezing. And I see a wood-burning stove over there, and I ask the girls behind the counter, hey, can uh, that wood-burning stove, like, is that where you guys, yeah, we, we, uh, that's how we warm up the place. And, and they, they said, yeah, we'll probably do that, you know. I, I, I wanted to say, well, can you do it now? Because we're freezing, right? But you don't want to be rude. I said, well, can I, like, put wood in there for you, whatever? And, and so, uh, and Hope's over there, and she's like, well, I don't know. I said, she's going through chemo. You drop the cancer card anywhere, you get what, pretty much whatever you want. If you want something and they're like, you know, rebutting you, you just say, she's going through cancer. And so I dropped the cancer card on them and we got our little wood burning stove going on over there. And, but it's this little tiny thing and it's over there and we're sitting over here. So I just rearranged the furniture, right? I got a couple chairs. We moved it right up to the little hole in the wood burning stove. And we opened it up. And we, we had our little pie and our a la mode. And we're sitting there. And we kept getting closer and closer to the fire. And then we have our chair scooting all the way up until, oh, you could feel that heat. We're eating our pie. Some of you need to pull your chair up to your relationship with God. So you can experience Him as your wonderful counselor, your mighty God, your everlasting Father, and your Prince of Peace. Okay, just close your eyes for a moment. Let's pray. I'm going to ask you a question, and I want you to answer it between you and God. Okay, so I want you to do this exercise with me, please. Just close your eyes for a moment. Who do you need... not? Who do you need God to be for you today? Now, don't miss this moment. This is, a, this is a divine moment for you. You can have a divine encounter right now. Who do you need God to be for you today? What need do you have? What lack? What area of weakness is going on in your life right now? And you need God to be your hero God in that situation. Okay, do you got it? Do you, do you have that area of your life? Maybe it's in your soul. Maybe it's in a relationship. Maybe it's in your relationship with Him. You got it? Okay, now I'm going to ask you to invite God into that area of your life. I'm telling you, he's going to do it. He's going to do it. And this week, you're going to have a testimony of this. Ask him now to exchange that area in your life of weakness with his strength. Ask him, be God to me in this way. I need you to specifically in this area of my life. I need you to be my superhero. He's your God. He's very personal. And he's deeply in love with you. That's why he came to the earth. So he could be everything you need. 